Welcome to Creating Great Workplaces with Dr. Mark Hinderleiter. In his 30-year corporate career, Dr. Mark learned firsthand that healthy workplaces had a direct linkage to sustained growth and profitability, while dysfunctional workplaces experienced exactly the opposite. In his search for the secret sauce, Dr. Mark interviews senior executives from companies that have been recognized as a top workplace in their market or category. And now, here's your host, Dr. Mark Hinderleiter. everybody, this is Mark Hinderleiter. Welcome to Creating Great Workplaces. You know, in my career, I've seen the direct connection between the health of the workplace culture and the financial performance of the business. And I've seen both sides of that coin. So this show is about discovering the secret sauce for creating great workplaces and sustained business performance. Today, my guest is Karen Martin. Karen's the president of TKMG, Inc., a global management consulting firm that specializes in business performance improvement. A recognized thought leader in business performance improvement, Karen's approach stems from her early career as a scientist and then building and leading operations for several rapid growth startups in the healthcare sector. Her work is deeply rooted in lean management. Karen's the author of several books, including Outstanding Organizations, Value Stream Mapping, the Kaizen Event Planner, and Metrics-Based Process Mapping, all co-authored with Mike Osterling. Karen's latest book, Clarity First, was a finalist in 800 CEO Reads 2018 Business Book of the Year. Karen, welcome to Creating Great Workplaces. Hi, Mark. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Absolutely. Looking forward to a great conversation. So I'd like to talk about your book, Clarity First. You know, in one of my own leadership programs that I call Diamond Quality Leadership, it includes creating clarity as one of the pillars of the program. So your book really resonated with me. So what was the inspiration? You've written a lot of books. What was the inspiration for this one? Yeah, this one was actually a follow-on to The Outstanding Organization, which was my first hardcover book. And in the outstanding organization, I found that high-performing organizations and actually high-performing athletes and musicians and artists and everybody have these four fundamental conditions in place that set the stage for excellence. And it's clarity, focus, discipline, and engagement. So after that book came out, I started getting the, you know, lots of reader feedback and emails and things like that, as you do. And the clarity chapter just got so much feedback from people. And there there was one guy that I knew. He was an engineer and a client I was working at at the time. And he wasn't someone that showed a lot of emotion. He was pretty stoic. And his email was just very emotive about what that chapter meant to him. And he concluded the email by saying, I am not exaggerating when I say I actually cried. And he went on to say that it was because he finally understood why he was feeling dragged down, why his team wasn't performing as they could, why the organization wasn't performing as it could. And that's what I was, you know, thinking, wow, that, you know, that clarity thing, there's something to it. And I had to study it deeply. And uh, the result is clarity first. So, you know, in my experience, 30 years in business, clarity has always been important. But in today's business environment, why is it so important now? You know, 
It's a really great question. It, it seems like it's always been important, and it, it's all you know. It's, I don't think it clearly's ever been unnecessary, but I do think that organizations are struggling mightily more and more in today's environment with clarity. And so, you know, seeking it, making a commitment to it, pursuing it, you know, becomes even more dire or necessary or urgent. You know, I think organizations are struggling with lack of clarity because, first of all, you know, we've kind of overcomplicated a lot in business. I I separate complexity with complication. Complexity is natural. It exists. It's always going to be there. And complication is what man, people do to things like processes and um, rules and regulations and standards and policies and all kinds of things. And so I just think that there's been a lot of overcomplication going on that doesn't need to be there. Complexity, yes. Complication, no. Yeah. Is all the noise that we all face in business a factor here with, good Lord, everything's competing for attention, COVID, you know, how many emails do we get today? How many texts do we get a day? How many meetings are we in? Yeah, so much communication is coming at us. How much of that noise is a factor? I think a lot because when you're, you know, that just goes to show the volume at which information is coming from people and at people. And when you have higher volumes than normal, it, that means people are working more quickly to deliver that information. And if you're working more quickly, you're probably not thinking as carefully about the information. And so that it can get very ambiguous and sloppy and not as precise as maybe if you just can take breath and be more intentional and purposeful in what you're trying to communicate you know, you have, a, you have a better shot of clarity for sure when you have, uh, when you take the time to think. Yeah. Well, isn't that a challenge in business today is taking the time to think? Yeah, big, big challenge. Yeah. But, you know, it's a matter of, it, it kind of gets back down to time management and prioritization and, you know, getting, getting every leader able to have the space to be able to communicate clearly. And it's not just communication and emails and meetings and things like that. It's actually, you know, performance. You know, how are we actually performing? Not how we wish we were performing, not how we would like to be performing, you know, not how we performed last week. You know, how are we performing right now? Like just even that level of clarity is is missing in many, many operations. Absolutely. You know, Karen, if you and I sat down and talked to 100 executives, I think a hundred out of a hundred would say, yeah, of course, clarity is important. And yet there's a, you pose a great question in your book and you addressed it a little bit, but your question in the book was why isn't clarity more common? So you talked about that a little bit. What, what else gets in the way? So time gets in the way rushing, you know, that that's a big one, but you know, the one that I see the most is fear. And fear is far more prevalent in the workplace than anybody believes until you really start looking for it and and you know how to detect the presence of fear. But, you know, fear gets people, you know, kind of shrouding the truth, sugarcoating the truth and reality, you know, maybe not surfacing that problem that actually exists, maybe not being quite as frank or candid because it's not a safe place to be that frank or candid. Um, I mean, you have to want clarity in order to create the environment where clarity can thrive. If you don't want it badly, it's not going to thrive. It, it, it takes work. 
to create a culture of clarity. And, you know, you have to actually be someone, and this is, you know, I'm talking about leaders now, you have to be someone who wants to know the truth passionately, no matter how ugly the truth is. And, you know, because of all kinds of reasons, too many responsibilities, not enough time, you know, too much going on. A lot of leaders, you know, don't want to know the truth because if they know the truth, they have to deal with it. They don't have any more time to deal with it. And so it's a vicious cycle. So um, it's getting control of one's time that can be the beginning of setting that culture of clarity, that intentional, that intentional value that, you know, that values clarity. You know, one of the things that uh, in my 30-year business career, corporate career, somewhere along that, I realized this. The day any leader is surrounded by people who are afraid to tell them the truth is the day the death spiral of their career begins. Is that an exaggeration? No, not at all. And, you know, I, I work, you know, we work with tons and tons of clients and lots and lots of leaders within each client. And, you know, there I'll sit in the meeting and see very clearly and unequivocally the leader that wants the truth and the leader that does not. And, um, the, you know, the leader that wants the truth is, you know, sometimes, you know, actually the, the one that's the black sheep of the, of the group or whatever, because they, they're wired that way and they believe, and I, I believe they're right, <laughs> that it's the path to excellence. But if you're surrounded by people that don't operate that way, we're an incredibly adaptive species. And so even a clarity-minded leader that goes into a brand new organization where there's a high level of fear and that's not the prevailing thought of the rest of the leadership team, they're going to morph or they're going to have to leave. And so it, you know, it, it becomes a disease. It's insidious. Absolutely. It is. I'll tell you, uh, before I went out and hung up my own shingle, I worked for a, uh, a really outstanding company, you know, outstanding CEO, great culture and consistent financial performance and growth over a long period of time, uh, change in leadership. And so, you know, I still know people there and have friends there. And it is a culture of fear. And in fact, I had somebody tell me several months ago, you know, just in a casual conversation, I said, how are you surviving this? And the answer was, keep my head down and my mouth shut. And not so coincidentally, that company has gone from consistently profitable and growing they probably lost $350 million in the last kind of three or four years. Mm-hmm. And that culture of fear, no doubt, plays a role. Yeah. You know, I had a situation where there was a company that was in one of the cities I lived in that was kind of the poster child for excellence. And, you know, they had employees, you know, top, top, top performance being down their doors to work there. And their perform- financial performance was amazing. It was privately held, amazing financial performance. And what struck me when the first time I went into the organization to meet with some people, I was just stunned by this gigantic big screen monitor right in the lobby with nine different key performance indicators that with targets on them. And five of them were financial. And, you know, the kinds of financial metrics that you don't share with your privately held company, typically. And it, but they had such a culture of transparency and, and honesty. And there was not an ounce of fear in that organization. Anyone at any time could speak up and they were taken seriously. The leadership team wanted it. They walked the talk, blah, blah, blah. 
Fast forward, they got bought. They got bought by a, a private equity firm. And little by little, and it didn't take very long at all, it became a shadow of its former self. They couldn't keep an employee to save their soul. Their financial performance went down into the tank. And they've recently been repurchased by someone else and, and relocated. And they're on the long road path to excellence. But it was so hard to watch that because unnecessary and they took that there was also a flat monitor up in the employee lounge area they took that down they took the, the one out of the lobby like it became that was so symbolic of like we don't want anyone to know anything <laughs> that um but their financial performance you know followed it very quickly you know as i think about a culture of fear you and i are talking about to me the flip side of that is a culture of trust mm-hmm. it's, that's kind of what i heard you describing with that privately held company with uh, the big screen you know, and a culture of transparency. What a stark difference. Yeah, night and day. Yeah. So, you know, you've been doing this work for a while. When you see, you actually kind of described that, but when you see companies that really have a culture of clarity that you really talk about in your book versus a culture of something less than clarity, confusion, chaos, whatever, how do you see the financial performance compare? How do you see the ability to attract and retain talent, which is a big deal? How do you see those compare and contrast in those differing cultures of clarity and, and maybe chaos? Well, you know, in the outstanding organization, I actually settled in on a non you know, classical business organization to profile as the the poster child for clarity. And it's the Blue Angels of the U.S. Navy, you know, elite flying team. And of all the organizations I've ever looked, you know, deeply enough into to, you know, get some pretty good insights, they just, you know, were kind of heads and shoulders above anything else I saw in traditional business in terms of clarity. Now, so financial performance isn't, you know, necessarily what they're you know, kind of all about, but the, you know, retain, attracting and retaining talent is. And um, I mean, the people that are, you know, current pilots and former pilots from Blue Angels just, you know, speak very glowingly of the experience there because of the level of transparency and the ethics and the values that they have toward the truth. And it's one of the reasons why they hardly ever have a miss. You know, I mean, when there's a problem, they talk very candidly about it. They talk about it real time. As soon as it happens, there's no blame. You know, they figure out what happened. Why did it happen? How do we prevent it? It's very matter of fact. It's very you know, fact based. You know, all these things make for that level of excellence. And I'm really sad to say that we don't have a lot of those examples in traditional business environments. There are some, but they're few and far between. And the bigger the organization, the harder it is to keep that same level of clarity, you know, across the entire leadership team, the value of clarity across the entire leadership team. And um, it, it really does not take very long for one leader that doesn't seek clarity and, and want to operate with clarity to kind of poison that part of the organization. It, it can happen very quickly. I have a friend who runs a technology company. And before this, when he ran, he was CEO of another technology company, told me kind of the same story is he sold that. It was a high-performing company, took it from a startup to, you know, a company that was doing really well, and then sold it to another group. And it didn't take long for them to change the culture, run off all the talent that was there before, 
and uh, drive their performance in the ditch. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, in the case of the story I told, you know, I'm not here to malign uh, or bash private equity, but it is a rare private equity firm that has a long-term plan in mind. You yeah. know, it's a shorter-term investment, typically, not always, but typically. And, um, and short-term thinking is very dangerous. And when you're trying to build and maintain, you know, a level of excellence, it, it isn't a short runway. It's a very long runway, actually. And so it's, you know, I think that is part of what happens when private equity gets involved. Does, again, it doesn't have to be. I also think publicly traded organizations have a lot of the same problems because of the pressure from Wall Street. Yeah, thinking, And um, it's very difficult to not become fear-based when you have that degree of pressure. Like I... You know, I exited two companies right before both of them went public. And, you know, it wasn't it wasn't intentional. It was just pure coincidence. Timing wise, it was just time for me to move on. But I, you know, I had lots of friends that stayed behind in both cases. Again, this is data point two. But both cases are like, oh, my God, night and day from the moment we went public. It just became a a very, very different fear based type of culture. It's tough. I mean, it's. It's tough. It lived for the quarter. Yep. Of my companies. Yep. So what I've learned is clarity is critical and hard to do consistently well over a period of time. So, you know, when you're working with a client, you talk about a a culture of clarity in your book, and you've talked about it here. What are some of the things that you help clients do to create that culture of clarity? You know, I, I don't, it, it's real time. I had a, a client call. We've been with them for a little over a year now this afternoon. And, and you know, it, a lot of times it comes back down to data, 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 data. And what I mean by that is most of the time, organizations don't know how they're actually performing. They don't know why, you know, certain decisions they make are making life as difficult as they are and things like that. So, you know, something very simple as looking at the logistics part of a, this was a, happened to be a manufacturer, but looking at how they're shipping, where they're shipping to and the decisions they're making on why they're shipping, you know, they, we asked some very, very basic questions that they couldn't answer. And then through showing them the data, that it's their data, but but we analyzed it in a way that told the truth of the situation. You know, they were able to make some really good decisions based on that. And so, you know, I'm not really into the whole big data frenzy that's going on out there. I, I think little data is missing. <laughs> Uh, understanding little data is a really important skill set that a lot of organizations don't have. But that's one thing is just that, that there's just this, this fog of not really understanding the customer, what they're buying, why they're buying it, where it's going, how it's being made. Like all those just really important fundamental things that, you know, for some reason, either were known at one time and are now forgotten, or maybe were never clear to begin with. And so we, we've, for some uncomfortable clarity and, and, you know, engage the client, making sure they're okay with that and that they really want to see the truth because it will require some work, you know, to make some changes and make different decisions based on the truth. But, you know, data is the thing we use the most, even to solve interpersonal conflict and interdepartmental conflict. It's amazing how once people see the facts about a situation, they go, oh, (laughs) and it, it can actually heal relationships. Absolutely. You know, part of my practice is 
exactly what you're describing with employee sentiment. You know, really, we guess and we have kind of anecdotal information about what our workforce is thinking, how they're feeling. We, we know that mostly anecdotally, you know, the old management by walking around. Well, now we're working virtually, so it's harder to do. So it, it's just as important to gather good information from our employees about how they feel about working for the company. Do they trust leadership? You know, all those kinds of things. Do they communicate what people want to hear? So it can you can make informed decisions. Same thing with employees. Yeah. And I think, you know, back to this culture of fear idea, you know, if an employee is asked that question, they have to feel incredibly safe answering it or they won't. Right. Or about it or those sugarcoated or whatever. And so, again, I think it gets back to you have to want the answer in order to get the answer. Uh, in a lot of you know situations, I find that that leaders really don't want to know the answer because, again, they'll have to do something with that information and they're overwhelmed and they're overloaded and they're already not sleeping at night, you know, and things like that. You know, when I think about clarity, it's a, just in my own work, it's a two-sided coin. It's seeking it, like you were just talking about. You really got to want it, right? At any level of manager that you are, you got to want clarity. You got to know what's really, what's true, right? One of my favorite authors is, Susan Scott, who wrote the book, Fierce Conversations, one of the great questions that I've always remembered is, what are you pretending not to know, <laughs> right? And that can be devastating. Yeah. Seek, seeking clarity is one side of the coin, and then creating it is, is the other side of that coin. And it's just an ongoing, it's an ongoing effort, in, in my experience. Yeah, you know, I think there's a difference. I, I categorize people, and we all are different shades of this in different circumstances, but there's the like the really pure clarity seeker that is pretty consistent and always seeking it and trying really hard to always deliver it. And then there's the clarity, like the um, intentional ambiguity version of that, where someone is, you know, intentionally not wanting to tell the truth. And there are actually times in business where that's a prudent path to take. It should be rare, but if you're about to be acquired or you're about to spin off a division or whatever, I mean, you can't just go broadcasting that to the whole public or, you know, those all kinds of consequences of that, but it needs to be, you know, something thoughtfully used and not for very long, but then there's a clarity blind. And that's where I think actually most people operate where they don't, they're not aware that they're not operating with clarity and that they're not seeking clarity when they should, like they're not even aware that clarity is a thing that to be honored and pursued. And so that was one of the big reasons to write the book is to just heighten awareness that clarity is a thing (laughs) and it's a big deal and you should care about this. Um, And then of course, there's a lot of how to in the book as well, but that I really just think my mission initially was you need to think about this. And like I said, I didn't really realize how big of a deal it was when I wrote the first book, it was just getting reaction to it that I said, Oh, wow. You know, this is much more of a, a problem that I even thought. I, I can echo that for my 30-year business career. Uh, and more true, the larger business gets, but also true, especially true for companies that are kind of multi-location, uh, you know, might have 20, 30, 40, 50 or more locations. And uh, that's a challenge too, you know, because we can't just have a town hall. Right. We can now, uh, we can have a Zoom town hall. But, uh, so I, I mean, I really resonate with your sentiment of 
creating clarity is so important. And if any of us are in a position of we don't know what we don't know, that clarity blind, man, that's a bad place to be. Yeah, it takes a lot of self-awareness to get clearer on what you don't know. So, you know, seek it. Yeah. Karen, this could be a couple hour conversation. So if you could kind of uh, boil down kind of the key takeaways for our audience, both from this conversation and from your book about clarity, what would they be? I, I think back to this idea of making conscious decisions, you know, I, I don't think it's helpful for us to live with in this kind of vague world where we don't even know exactly why we do what we do. I think being very conscious about every decision is important and so, you know, committing to that level of awareness is the first thing. Like, I want to understand this. I want to see myself. I want to see how others are seeing me. I want to understand the world around me. I want to seek the information that will help make sense of the world around me. You know, all those kinds of things is that that intentionality is really important. So that's one thing. The other thing that I think is important is to do a little bit of root cause analysis for why fear exists and figure out whether or not the reasons for that fear are legit. So for example, you know, I was in a pretty truth seeking mode until my first corporate job. And I kind of got the truth beaten out of me by a boss that said, you know, that you have a high need to know, and it's not, you don't need to know. You're like, it's not, you you don't need to know that. So you shouldn't want it. And so that became a habit within that organization that took a lot of years to unwind and unpack all that programming, which, you know, we have big companies now. So people from all over the place are now in that company with all kinds of experiences now in that company, and they're bringing all that baggage with them. So it, it really takes, I think, a really high-level leader in an organization to kind of declare, put a stake in the ground and declare, like, we are going to work to become a clarity-seeking organization, a clarity culture, and, you know, we're, we're going to do that. Um, and then it takes a lot of watching behavior and calling people gently but professionally on behavior that's pulling you back into the, you know, fog land. <laughs> um, it just takes, it takes a lot of will to operate with clarity. Absolutely. Well, Karen, great conversation. Really appreciate your time. So how do folks find you and your books? Yeah, so uh, we have two websites. On the consulting side, it's TKMG, which it used to be the Karen Martin Group, but now it's TKMG.com. And then we have an online learning arm, TKMGacademy.com. You can access books both places. And there's info if anyone wants to drop an email or whatever. And of course, I'm on LinkedIn. Karen Martin Off X is my handle on LinkedIn and Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and all of that. So, you know, happy to see people on social media as well. Okay. Well, Karen, hey, great conversation. Thank you for your time and your wisdom. And folks, thanks for listening. I like to say that great podcasts are today's MBA uh, with real-time education from CEOs and thought leaders. So have a great week. Companies with healthy, engaging workplaces have a distinct advantage over the competition in any industry. 
We hope you got at least one tip from this podcast to move you forward in creating a workplace people are proud to be a part of. Thanks for listening to Creating Great Workplaces with your host, Dr. Mark Hinderleiter. For a complimentary consultation, call Dr. Mark at 636-346-8466. For more information, visit us at thirdwayinc.com. That is T-H-I-R-D-W-A-Y-I-N-C.com. Remember to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or wherever you like to listen to podcasts. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.